My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and going through verse by verse. So glad that you're joining me. And we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to be picking up today at verse 22 and then going through the end of the chapter, verse 36. So at the beginning of verse four, uh, chapter 14, we've had the, the, the story of John the Baptist and the end of his life with his head being cut off. Then we've had Jesus escaping that news. And as he tries to escape, he feeds the 5,000 out of compassion. And then we have another amazing miracle again that we see Jesus doing that we've heard about, we read about, and it's about Jesus walking on the water. And so let's pick up the story in Matthew 14, verse 22. This is just after everybody in the 5,000 has been fed. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Uh, This is, you know, as soon as the 5,000 were fed, immediately, immediately, they've cleaned up all the pieces, immediately, get in the boat, go to the other side. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Remember, Jesus was always acutely aware of his need to pray with his father. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary uh, I think that's you know, a nice way of saying it was fairly fierce. Jesus felt it was very important for him and the disciples to leave the area quickly after the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe that was to avoid the multitudes clinging to him uh, as a potential source of constant bread. Maybe they thought yeah, he was concerned that they would think, well, if we just hang out with him all the time, we'll always be fed. Uh, so Jesus was compelled. In other words, he was made, uh, sorry, he made the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, he wanted some time to pray. Remember, he still hasn't had any time alone since John the Baptist has has died. He found out the news. He wants to escape the crowd. He wants some rest. It's not that he doesn't want to have compassion. He's already proven that. And and he also is acutely aware of the timing that it's not ready for him to uh, start his messianic uh, journey towards the cross, the, the closing stages. He's not ready for that yet. So John chapter 6 actually gives us a little bit more information, if you like, on this story, that the crowd responded to the miraculous feeding with a rush of messianic expectation. In other words, well, if he can do that, then then he must be the Messiah. And if the disciples shared this enthusiasm, uh, then maybe they would think, well, now's the time to promote Jesus as the Messiah and the King. Then it was very important for Jesus to get the disciples and himself away from the crowd. Remember, Jesus always acutely aware of God's timing. So he goes up onto the mountain to pray by himself. Jesus was, if you like, jealous. In other words, very protective of his time spent alone with his father. He knew that it was time that he had to guard jealously. And in the midst of all the ministry that Jesus did to other people, he never neglected prayer and time alone with his father. And there's so much in that for us. 
we can get so caught up in even compassion. Compassion can rob you and steal your time with the Father because you're like, well, but there's so much good to be done. There's so much good to be done. That's why if you speak to any missionary on the mission field, they'll tell you one of the most important things you have to do every day is spend time alone with the Father because if you're not spending time alone with the Father, you can't help people in the mission field. The need hasn't changed, but you need to be prepared. So... Trapp says this, John A. Trapp, whilst the disciples were periling and almost perishing in the middle of the sea, Jesus was praying for them. And so he still is for us at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the seas are contrary, crazy seas. Now, I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's basically like a really big lake. Uh, and... It's known, however, for its sudden storms, and like a lot of shallow and you know uh, lakes that that aren't huge, they can actually get quite violent seas. But you have to remember, some of these people on the boat are fishermen. They kind of you know, they're supposed to be used to this. So the disciples are crossing over from one side to the other. Jesus is not on the boat; he's up on the land still. Okay, he's still up where the, where the feeding of the five thousand has happened. Verse twenty-five. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. <laughs> and when the disciples saw him on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. So this is the fourth watch. When was the fourth watch? That would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay, so you've got the first watch, 6 p.m., to 9 p.m. Second watch, 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch, midnight to 3 a.m. Fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And according to Mark chapter 6, again, the retelling of this story from a different perspective the, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes to the disciples when the boat's in the middle of the sea and they've exhausted themselves. They're rowing against the waves. They can't get make any progress. And Jesus comes walking on the water, which obviously shocked and troubled them. Why? Because they cried out with fear. Yeah, unbelievable. And he says to them, be of good cheer. It's I, don't be afraid. He wasn't coming to make them afraid. He, he wanted them to be comforted. David Guzik, there are two good reasons to put away fear in your life. One reason may be that the problem is not nearly as bad as you had thought. Perhaps you are afraid because you exaggerate the danger. The other reason is that even though the problem may be real, there is an even greater solution and an even greater helper who is at hand? And this is the disciples. What they thought they were in, it was the end. We're going to die. We're doomed. We're doomed. Sky is falling. Sky is falling. We're all doomed. That's it. Just seeing Jesus feed the 5,000, seeing all the miracles. He told them to get in the boat. Did none of them say, hey, we're just doing what Jesus told us to do, so I'm pretty sure everything's going to be okay? No, no record of that. They decided to, in the Greek, freak out. So Jesus comes. They, they're astonished even more now. They think they've seen the ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, uh, I actually think that this is a, an amazing uh, leadership example by Peter here. So Jesus said to Peter, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. 
and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, Jesus, saying, truly you are the son of God. We don't know what prompted Peter to ask the question, Lord, if it's you, just tell me to come and I'll come. But his faith in Jesus was actually remarkable. It was very clear faith. He, he, Jesus said, come, gives him one word, come, and he puts his foot out of the water. Now, the part of this story that I've always been fascinated by was the moment when Peter put his foot out of the water, uh, out of the boat, onto the water, and he transferred his weight onto the water for the first time. So, you know, a lot of people live their lives with one, they've got one foot out of the boat, but all their weight is still in the boat. Peter knew what it was to transfer his weight and total dependence upon Jesus on the water and start to walk towards Jesus. So the water is now sustaining him and holding him up. So then what does he do? What we do all the time in the middle of doing what God wants us to do, miraculous provision, we look around. Oh, oh, I'm in a really dangerous place. Oh, there's big seas. Oh, there's wind. Oh, uh, oh, there's a boat. Uh, I'm meant to be in the boat. Oh, uh, and there's Jesus and I'm on water. Oh my goodness, I'm walking on water. And what happens? He starts to sink. Peter was able to do the miraculous as long as he looked at Jesus. When he saw the wind was boisterous, all of a sudden he begins to sink. You and I, keep our eyes on Jesus. Boom, locked on Jesus, can't lose. A.B. Bruce, Peter walked on the water, but he feared the wind. Such is human nature, often achieving great things and at fault in the little things. So he says, Lord, save me. The amazing thing is, is that he, first of all, he said, Lord, if that's you, command me and I'll come. Jesus says, come. So he comes. Then when he starts to sink, he says, Lord, save me. He knew, Peter knew that Jesus would be there to save him. He knew who to call out to in a moment of crisis. So what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't take him further away from the boat. Jesus took him back into the boat. Spurgeon said this, what a sight. Jesus and Peter walking hand in hand upon the water towards the boat. Jesus says to him, Oh, you of little faith, Peter. The little faith was what led to Peter's doubt, to his distraction. It's, made him what it, it's what made him sink. And Adam Clark said, It was not the violence of the winds nor the raging of the waves which endangered Peter's life. It was his littleness of faith. Spurgeon said this, There is only one word in the original for the phrase, O thou of little faith. The Lord Jesus virtually addresses Peter by the name of little faith in one word. So Peter here shows us some weaknesses that are exposed in us when we have little faith. Because little faith is often found in places where we might expect Great faith in the middle of God doing something amazing. Little faith is, is too eager looking for signs, looking around. Little faith is inclined to have too high an opinion of its own power. Oh, I can do that. I don't need Jesus to do all that. 
Little faith is affected by its surroundings. Looks around, takes it into consideration. Oh, I don't know if I should have a lot of faith because of what's surrounding me. Little faith is quick to exaggerate the actual danger that you're in. Oh, help me, help me, I'm going to die. Help me, I'm going to die. But Peter also showed us some amazing strengths of little faith. Because little faith is actually true faith. Little faith is something that obeys the word of Jesus. So Peter has little faith, but that little faith was enough to say, Jesus, if it's you, I'll come. Jesus says, come. So he says, okay. Little faith struggles to come to Jesus. Tries. See, Peter tried to get to Jesus on the water. And, he, and, and we, could, we could look at the negative and say, well, he failed, but he walked on water. You and I haven't done that. Nobody else apart from Jesus has done that. So Peter was better than the rest of us. Little faith got to walk on water. Little faith accomplished great things, even if it was just for a short period of time. Little faith prays when it's in trouble. Little faith is safe because little faith is on its way to Jesus. Spurgeon said, you do believe. And if you believe, then why do you doubt? If faith, then why do you only have a little faith? If you doubt, why believe at all? And if you believe, why doubt? So he says to Peter, why did you doubt? Jesus only asked this question after Peter was rescued. But it was at that point that it was an entirely reasonable question to ask. Peter, I'm asking you, why did you doubt? There are some common reasons for doubting Jesus and his promises. Uh, here's some of them. If there's been times in your life that you think God has been unfaithful to his promises, hasn't answered your prayer. If somebody you know has told you, listen, I don't know if God can be trusted. If your problem is so new and so extremely difficult that it's almost certain that God cannot help you. These are reasons we doubt. But here's one more. A reason for doubting Jesus is if God has changed. And he has not. So if he has not, if he's the same yesterday, today and forever, then why do we doubt him? See, doubts when it comes to God and our Saviour Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, doubt is unreasonable for a disciplined Christ follower. If you're a disciple, you don't doubt God. You might doubt yourself. You might doubt other people. But don't ever doubt God. How about it? we even have a, a faith like Peter, have a little faith, and if Jesus tells us to walk on the water, we'd at least put our foot out of the boat and transfer our weight onto the water without thinking about what we're doing, but looking at those to whom we are walking. Our Spurgeon said this, our doubts are always unreasonable. When, when Christ said to Peter, why did you doubt? If there be reason for little faith, there is evidently reason for great confidence. If it be right to trust Jesus at all, then why not trust him altogether? So it's useful for us 
to confront our own doubts and then ask ourselves, was there any reason for my doubt? Um, Was there a good excuse for my doubt? And did any good come from my doubt? Because I can tell you it never does. So they come after all this. And uh, they worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. They move quickly from fearing the storm to worshipping Jesus. It's a, it's a logical reaction, considering the power that Jesus showed him walking on the water, then allowing Peter to walk on the water, saving Peter, bringing Peter back into the boat, and the love that he showed for Peter to make sure that he didn't drown. Truly, you are the son of God. So then we get to the end. When they had crossed over, they came to the the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, Jesus, they sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him, Jesus, all who were sick. And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. The Gospel of John actually tells us that this crossing over from one side to the other was miraculous after this uh, miracle of Peter. So what happened was, as soon as Jesus got into the boat with Peter, has his little conversation with Peter, miraculously the boat is instantly carried over to the other side. You can read about that in John chapter 6. So there's, 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 there's a miracle. Over the powers of creation, miracle. Now, Gennesaret, what was that? That was a region. It wasn't just a town. It was on the western south shore of Capernaum. Uh, and it was basic, basically a surprising return to Herod Antipas's territory. Nobody would have been expecting that. So then all these people come, they need healing, and they beg him. They're like, if we can just touch the hem of his garment, we'll be healed. This is important because even the hem of Jesus' garment provides a very important point of contact for our faith. Uh, Paul's sweatbands in Acts chapter 19 Peter's shadow in Acts chapter 5. Jesus' hem provides a physical object that helped them to believe God for the healing at that moment. Now, we can't touch Jesus' hem of his garment, but he has touched our lives. And you and I have an opportunity to have the word of God documented that the disciples didn't have. They were just, they were, they, they were writing the story. They were seeing it being written. Jesus was always willing to show compassion and healing for people who needed it. D.A. Carson said the stricter groups such as the Pharisees and the Essenes counted it an abomination to rub shoulders in a crowd and touch somebody's garment. One never knew what ceremonial uncleanness one might contract. The thought of deliberately touching somebody else's garment in a large crowd was seen as repulsive. Jesus said, that which you think is repulsive is what gives you the ability to be healed. And that's the thing is that Jesus wants us to come to him to have our heart healed and our eternity healed. But a lot of people don't want to do it because it's considered repulsive to go to Jesus. I don't want to go to Jesus for my eternity to be healed. I don't want to go to Jesus. It repulses me, the idea of, of accepting a free gift of salvation. Yet that is where the miracle takes place. Observation for me, one of my greatest experiences in Israel, and I've done it twice, is going on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. 
and worshipping. Turn on worship music and just worship as you're on the Sea of Galilee and imagine Jesus walking on the water. Imagine Peter getting out of the boat. The power of Jesus and the faith of Peter. Jesus just said, come. And that's what Peter did. And both times that I've been on the Sea of Galilee and I want you to come with me you know, one day when I go to Israel again. And it's an amazing opportunity to realize that following Jesus is as simple as listening to one word. Jesus looks at you and I once we give our lives to him and he just says, come. Are you ready to do that? If you are, then I would say to you and I, let's go. Let's get out of the boat. Why, not, why don't we all walk on the water together? Why don't we all just start doing what God wants us to do and allow Jesus to work miracles through our hands because he's already paid the price. Heavenly Father, I just commit every single person here today. I pray, God, that they just be stirred in their spirits as we talk about this. And God, that whoever needs to get out of the boat, I pray, Lord, for anybody who's just put their foot out of the boat and they've never transferred their weight. I pray, God, that they would just today take a step of faith. Jesus, you've said, come. I pray that they transfer their weight onto that water and they would get out of that boat and just keep their eyes focused on you and walk to you. God, give them the faith. Give them the expectation. I pray for fear to be gone in Jesus' name and for them to look to you, the author, the finisher of their faith. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.